Shabbat Shalom. It is good to be here this morning. I know that some of you are wondering where Rabbi Jonathan and Catherine are this morning. Uh, they are at uh, Congregation Maim Chaim this morning. Rabbi Jonathan is uh, sharing the message there because Rabbi David had surgery on his foot. And so we sent them over to assist so that Rabbi David would not have to try to stand or deal with getting up and down his platform and those kind of things uh, during this. So, but I do want to say something about Catherine this week. Um, this week, it got so cold that when I got here one morning, there was a lizard out on the sidewalk, and it was just kind of frozen, you know, like I went as far as I could, now I'm frozen. I kind of felt like that lizard this week. So I called Catherine and I said, Catherine, you have to come out and save this lizard. Uh, you know, bring it inside, warm it up, save this lizard. Because, you know, you guys know that she owes the, um, the, the reptile family. Uh, because she, she killed this huge alligator one time. She's Catherine the Gator Slayer. And so, so she killed this huge alligator. So I feel like she has to save a lot of little lizards <laughs> to balance the scales, right? I mean, it's just fair. So, so they did. They saved the, the little lizard this week. And, and then when it got warmer that day, they turned it loose. And right after that, a crow came down. And no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just... I'm just kidding, no crow, but, but they did save the lizard, and I was, I was very, very happy we saved the lizard, because lizards eat bugs, and uh, the circle of life, and all that kind of stuff. So, one time, one time, just once, for those watching online who didn't hear uh, my dear friend Jeannie said I should do stand-up comedy. Uh, I want to do it one time, but only one time. Uh, and uh, just because it's on my bucket list of things to do before I die. And if I'm really bad, I could like die on stage and complete two things at once. So anyhow, we're in Parsha Teramah. Parsha Teramah is my favorite Parsha of all the Parshas in here. Now, I haven't said that in a long time. Someone said... They missed it, so I said it now. Now I'm done for several more months saying that, and everybody can be happy, except for Leah. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, that they bring me an offering from every man that gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Now, this is one of those chapters that begin with something that... Uh, that I think is really an important lesson for us and sometimes is misused, uh, abused, mistreated. Sometimes people use these words to manipulate people, to, uh, to, to get people to do things that they want rather than things that God might want. We have to be really careful not to put ourselves in the place of God when we're instructing people to do things. And, uh, but I do believe that God expects His people to be givers. And, and to be givers from a willing heart, a cheerful heart. I shared, uh, I think I shared here or somewhere, uh, maybe I was talking with someone else, I don't remember. Sometime in the last 
couple of months. You guys heard my story about the, the uh, jury duty. I don't remember things very well sometimes. And, uh, but over the last few week, months, we had somebody who came up and, and they had uh, sold something for a large sum of money and they, they like were running to the synagogue so that they could pay their tithes on that large sum of money. Because, now, when I say large sum of money, you have to remember I'm poor. So a large sum of money is like 50 cents. But they, they ran to the synagogue so that they could pay their tithes on that large sum of money. And they were just so excited. This was the first time they were able to give that kind of an offering. They were just, you know, it was just overflowing. They were like bubbling over with joy that they were going to be able to give for the first time this kind of an offering. And that's kind of what this is talking about, that when we give to the Lord, and it doesn't matter how much we give, if we're giving, and this isn't talking about tithing, this is talking about offering. Tithing is a, a set amount of 10% that God instructs us to give. Now, I know, and we can get into the 10% for this and 10% for that, and I know that it's really 23 and a third percent, but we're not making trips to Israel every year three times a year, so the 10% to make the trip to Jerusalem isn't something we figure in, but we should figure in the 10% that we give regularly plus the 10% over three years we're supposed to give to the widows and orphans. So we really should be giving 13 and a third percent. Did I lose anybody in my mathematics? Okay. Well, good. We'll listen to it slow later, and we'll, you'll get it. Um, but really, there's, there's a 10% tie that was given to the ministry, to the Levites of, at that time. Now, again, people will then say, well, there aren't any Levites. We don't have a print. Why do I have to pay tithes? Because tithing didn't start with the Levites. It started with Abraham, and Jacob paid tithes and all, and that was before there were Levites. So it's to the ministry, to the priesthood, to those that are, are providing spiritual strength and sustenance to the community and interceding and praying for and teaching and sharing. And so there's 10% that goes to that, but then there's another 10% over a three-year period that goes to the widows and orphans to take care of people. That's what we would call benevolence money today, and that comes out to three and a third percent a year. So the reality now, we should be giving at least three and a third percent a year. Now, I believe we should give more than that. I think that tithe is a minimum, not a maximum. You know, it's, people take tithes sometimes like they sin. It's like, where's the line that I can do before I'm not being uh, faithful in this? You know, and we get people, and, and I know that sometimes people pay tithes like I am about having things organized. And so I understand there are some of you that pay your tithes down to the precise 10% on the, you know, the, the money. So we get, sometimes we get a check for like 143.27 uh, because that's the 10%. And I know that's partially some of you, it's because of your uh, OCD and you just, it's got to be the right amount. My son can't listen to the radio unless the setting is on an odd number. It's just, it can't be like, if you turn, if you want to aggravate my son while you're driving in the car, you just bump the thing to like a six. You know, to be, you know, the, 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 the le sound level. Am I losing you? You know, you have sound level in the car. It's like 10, 16, 21, whatever. You just turn it to an even number. It just drives them crazy. So I do it often. So, but anyhow, some people do it because of that, but others do it because they don't want to give God one cent more than is required. And they're, they're going to do the limit. Uh, this is the 10% is what I'm supposed to do, so it's going to be that 143.27. That's all I'm giving because that's all I'm required to do. And uh, I think we should 
have a heart that's willing to give, and I think that it should come from within us, and that we should want and desire to bless and provide and meet the needs of our community, and, uh, and that should come from a willing heart. I love that this says to bring me an offering, because by definition, offering is something you're doing, rather than, like, we don't take an offering. I say it all the time, or I should say it all the time, I don't say it often enough. We don't take an offering, we receive one. We're not passing a plate among the people with, with you know, I, I remember when I was a kid. Now, some of you know, some of you don't, that my step family are Catholic. My stepfather converted to Judaism. My real father was born Jewish, but his stepfather converted to Judaism, but all his kids were Catholic. And so periodically, just for the fun of it, I would go to the Catholic church with them. And I would watch, and they had big old baskets. And I'm not mocking the Catholic Church. There's enough things to complain about the Catholic side. This is not one of them so much. Uh, but they had huge baskets on poles. And they had a guy who would take the thing, and he'd slide the pole down the row, and then he'd draw it back. And when he slid it in front of people, he would just stop it there. And if they didn't give, he'd kind of shake the basket. I'm serious, I'm not, you know, and if you only gave a little, you'd shake it again, you know, they, and those baskets would come out like overflowing with, with money, and this was a long time ago when I was young, and I, in the back of my young Jewish, not necessarily overly practicing mind, I would think, you know, that person's kind of old, I think I could take him. <laughs> like, I would see that basket and it'd make me my escape routes, you know. All I have to do is knock that one guy over. The rest of them are praying. I think I can do this. But the point of it was that they would shake the basket. Now, I'm talking about one congregation, so I don't know that that is how it's done in all congregations. And the truth is, I traveled around the country preaching in churches, and there are churches that do similar uh, things. I went to one church in town here, and they passed the plate around. And when they counted it up, they said we didn't get enough, so they passed it around again. And then when they counted up, still didn't have enough. They passed, they passed that plate five times around that building. So, so I want you to know, I'm, when I talk about these things, I'm not just picking on Catholics or this or that. I, it's, humanity stinks all the way across the board. And if we have opportunity to be bad, we are going to be, and especially when it comes to money. But I think that we don't often teach about giving from that willingness, from that overflowing joy, not from a responsibility, although we do have a responsibility to give, but from a desire to give, from a joy of doing that. I love when I talk to new people who just start coming to the congregation and they let me know, Rabbi, I was able to give this week, especially younger people. I love one of my favorite things, and, and, and every Saturday now since Robin's been sick, I have to go back and help them with the, the money. Now, I don't know who's giving. I don't want to know who's giving, but I do. they add up, you know, how much money, and I'm there to make sure that all of it goes in the other envelope and gets locked up at the end of the thing. Accountability, it's important. I don't think anybody would steal, but I also don't want to give anybody opportunity. So, so we're there. We want to make sure everything's kosher and done right. But one of my favorite things, and this happens almost every week, we have... Envelopes that come in that are clearly written by children that have their tithes in it, and it'll be like 35 cents or a dollar fifty or something. I love when children do that, when they want to do that. 
when they grow up having a joyous expression of giving that. Understand that God owns all of it. It's not like you're actually giving anything to God because it's His to begin with. You're just acknowledging that it's His and giving it to Him because everything is His anyhow. So it's easy to do that. I like paying bills with my father's credit card. You know? My kids like to pay bills with my credit card. You know, my grandkids, my, my, anyhow, I can't go to the mall anymore because my granddaughters grab me by the hand and say, jewelry store. But it's my fault. I let my wife teach them that. Anyhow, giving is important, but it should be done with a giving, willing, overwhelming, overflowing heart. And that's how we should give all that we give, whether it's the tithe or the offerings. And so we should feel like God wants us to do this and do it in honor and blessing of Him. I only say all that because this chapter begins with that. I really don't want to talk about that today, but it's almost like you have to mention it when you start out with the to- topic of, of an offering or a giving. And, and remember, this, the Hebrew in here says, you'll give me an offering, terumah, and then he says, take my offering, terumati, at the end. So the, the language changes from you're going to give this to it becomes mine. And understand that when you give to God, it becomes His. So if you give $100 to the synagogue, and then you go, well, I hope they spend it right, or can I tell you where to spend it? We get people periodically that will give something, and they'll say, I want this to go here. And we usually do those things, uh, because we, we like to follow that, but but some people are like demanding, this must go here. Uh, that's not your money anymore. If you give it to God, it's His money. Amen? People say, well, I don't know if I trust them. Look, if you don't trust the congregation you're going to, and I'm talking to the people online because I know all you guys are, are you know, but if you don't trust the congregation you're going to to trust them to take the money and use it right, go somewhere else. Find some shepherds that you trust. If you can't trust people with your money, how are you going to trust them with your soul? You know, our, our reading from our Haftorah this morning, if you notice, first of all, they don't kill Agag. And according to our tradition, the descendants of Agag lead us to Haman. Thank you. We're practicing for Purim. Let's try that again. Lead us to Haman. There we go. But the other side is that it tells us something really strong about Saul. Saul didn't save one person other than Agog. And he saved Agog for political reasons. He only saved things. God told him to destroy all the people and the animals And he saved the things he could sell. (coughs) The things that he could use to make money off of. People are much more valuable than things. That's why when the children of Israel went into the promised land and they said to Moses, we want to build things for our animals and then build for our family, And then we'll go with you. And Moses said, no, no, no. Build for your family first, then build for your animals. Get this thing right. People are the most important thing there is. And being willing to give to provide for them is 
a vital uh, trait we need to learn in all ways. Anyhow, that's not my message for today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Leviticus 25, I mean Exodus 25, and we're going to start reading from verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shatim wood, two cubits and a half shall it be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside, shall you overlay it, and shall make it uh, a rim of gold around it. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners, and two rings shall be in one of its side, and two rings in the other side, and you shall make the poles of shatim wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings by the sides of the ark, so that the ark may be carried with them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You shall put the ark of test, put into the ark of the testimony. Uh, I'm sorry, the ark, the testimony, which I shall give you. Now, this is a, a really amazing piece of furniture that God designs, that He has people make. Now. I want to point out a side note before I get to where I'm going, uh, but this is something that Jonathan, uh, Rabbi Jonathan and I were sharing and talking about a lot this week, is that a lot of preachers and a lot of people, and you'll see it periodically on social media, the statement that God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Have anybody heard that before? That's ridiculous. God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And people use that to try to encourage people to do stuff for the Lord. Don't worry about if you have the talents, if you have the abilities, God will still use you. He doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. It's a ridiculous statement and statistically it's inaccurate. God called all kinds of qualified people in the Bible. He also called some people we would consider unqualified. Uh, for instance, uh, the young man that built much of the furniture, ta tabernacle furniture, uh, Basel. He, he, was, he was unqualified. He was a kid, and God did it purposely so that he would get the glory and not Basel, that he would get the glory and, and not the men. But if you look at the rest of the people, it's all people that were already trained to do things. When God chose somebody to go out to the nations to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles outside of Israel, he chose one of the most qualified men that existed at that time, Rav Shaul, was a student of Gamaliel. He was one of the most qualified people there is. God chose a lot of qualified people. Matter of fact, even Peter. We talk about Peter being an ignorant and unlearned man. If I were to have everybody in here stand up and tell you you can only sit down if you'll quote 17 verses from five different books, how many of you would sit down? Polly Lockler would. But if I just put you on the spot and said, quote, 17 verses from five different books of the Old Testament, of the Tanakh, uh, Peter on Acts 2 rattles off scripture after scripture after scripture. He was not ignorant and unlearned compared to us. He was ignorant and unlearned compared to Paul. God uses people that he qualified to accomplish things. There's a reason I'm saying this, and it goes along with this, this message. The, the Ark of the Covenant is a unique piece of furniture. 
that God makes. And, and one of the things that made it unique was the fact that the poles for the Ark of the Covenant were made and designed and purposed to never be taken away from the Ark of the Covenant. The poles that carried the table of showbread, the poles that carried the altar of incense, they could be removed. But the, the staves, these poles that carried the Ark of the Covenant were never to be removed. And those poles were put into place before the atonement seat was put on top. Now, those poles represent to me humanity. It's wood roll wrapped in gold. Is God taking wood and wood throughout the scripture represents humanity, it represents man. Wrapped in gold, that represents God's involvement, His righteousness, His holiness, His purity in our lives. And there's two poles, one for, I believe, Jewish people, one for non-Jewish people. And before atonement was placed on top of it, God had established a way for His Word to be carried by both. Now, people will look at me and say, well, the, you know, what are you talking about non-Jewish people carrying the Word of God? Three prophets in the Tanakh went and preached to Gentile nations. There were, we, we kind of think crookedly because we look at the book and we read only about the Jewish people, so we assume that nobody else was there and God wasn't working with anybody else at that time. That's not true. This is just the narrative in which the Messiah comes through, but that doesn't mean that God was ignoring the rest of the world or that nobody else in the world ever had a relationship with God. That's why we come to the conclusion that uh, Yitro was a pagan priest, priest, even though he wasn't. There's no reason to believe Yitro was a pagan priest. Yitro comes in, he makes a sacrifice and offerings. The priests all join with him to eat it. There's no reason to believe he was a pagan priest other than we get in our mind that God was only dealing with Jews or Israel and all the Gentiles were just left to uh, tread water until Yeshua came and then they'd have opportunity to come to God. I don't think that's true. I don't think that when God sent Jonah to Nineveh to tell them to repent that they didn't have pented before. In order to repent, you had to have pented before. You, in order to turn back to God, you have to have been with God at some point. And so I think that God gave His Word through Israel, but it was to be carried by both Jews and non-Jews. Abraham was supposed to be a light to the nations, and that all the nations of the earth would bless themselves through Him. So I believe, and this is something that I believe is consistent, is that... God expected Jews and non-Jews, Israel and the nations to all have His Word. The problem is that that Word had to be carried by people that were connected to His Ark. And in the Ark was His covenant. And the problem is that the church took its stave out of the Ark and started walking off one way, and Judaism took their stave out of the Ark and started walking another way, and they left the ark sitting there all by itself with the covenant. And they're preaching the word of God separated from the fullness of his covenant. That's why Jewish people didn't accept Yeshua. Not all Jewish people. We know there were hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in the early uh, few years of the, of the body of Messiah coming uh, after the death of Messiah. But there were a lot of Jews that didn't accept Yeshua because... The humans that were supposed to be carrying the ark and carrying the covenant 
had separated themselves from that ark. They took the staves out. God said, whatever you do, don't take the staves out. You've got to stay attached to this ark because in the ark is going to be the covenant and on the ark is going to be the atonement. There were also two cherubim. We say cherubim on top of the ark. I find it interesting that we see angels in pairs at certain places in the scripture. I happen to believe that it's the same two angels. I think the two angels that made with, met with Abraham are the same two angels that we see all the way through, and the same two angels we see in Revelation. I think it's the same two angels that travel through. I, I don't think there's only two angels, but I think these these same two angels, these witnesses of God that show up at different times at different places, and, and we see them reveal things of God to Israel. And almost every time we see those angels, we see a covenant relationship being presented or passed along. And here we see this again. We have the two angels on top of this ark. And then when Yeshua is resurrected, there are, go to the tomb, and there's two angels standing facing each other over the place where he laid and provided atonement. Just like the Ark of the Covenant. And after that happens, the believers start to carry their stave attached to the covenant again. And then they share the message with the uh, Gentiles. And the Gentiles start to carry and put their stave back in the covenant again. And they start preaching the covenant that God made with mankind, the single covenant that has uh, parts to it that God created the world for mankind and He was going to end the world with mankind and everything is about restoring things to the Garden of Eden. Matter of fact, if we read just the first two chapters of the Bible and then skip to the last chapter of the Bible, we have the entire Bible. Everything between those chapters is just what we messed up in the story. All of that could have gone away if we had just not left the garden We'd have had the first two chapters, the last chapter of the Bible, and everything else wouldn't exist. Everything else exists because of God's grace and mercy and is providing atonement for us, restoration, so that we can turn back to Him and connect back to our role of carrying the covenant, which is built upon the Torah, God's Word, the, uh, the commandments that were given. I think every time that we deviate from this pattern, we part from the covenant and we diminish the atonement that is provided by our words. Because we're supposed to share the message of atonement, the message of redemption, the message of salvation, the message of Yeshua, which is all based upon the covenant. And when we depart from that covenant, when we pull the staves out of the holes, when we pull the staves off and we go in our own directions, they get a distorted view of the covenant because we're further and further and further away from where it is. And our goal as Messianic believers, our goal as people who believe in Yeshua, 
as people who believe he was the fullness of God's promise to mankind, as people who hold on to his covenant from Genesis through Revelation, who believe that there's one message through the whole book and God didn't change his mind partway through and decided it was too difficult the other way, we'll try a new track. Those of us who believe that, believe that God's plan was for Jew and Gentile to be one in Messiah, that Israel would be made up of Jew and non-Jew grafted in to the same olive tree. Natural branches, wild branches, regrafted branches, all part of the same thing. All having faith in the singular message of the atonement that's provided and the message that it's up to us to carry that message of God's covenant relationship with us to everybody else. It's interesting that the other articles don't have the same line. It doesn't say you can't take this poll out of there. You can't take these polls. Matter of fact, one of the things that's often taught wrong is the, the altar of incense. And even I went to Shiloh in Israel and they have a tabernacle kind of representation there and they have it wrong there. This is a place where when the tabernacle came into Israel, it stayed there for hundreds of years before it finally moved to Jerusalem. And the picture of the altar of incense, is the, the representation is wrong there. Because if you look in the scriptures, it says there were only two rings on the altar of incense. There's four rings on the Ark of the Covenant and four rings on the table of presence. But there's two rings on the altar of incense. It's just interesting, but the, those poles can be taken out, put in. The Ark of the Covenant, those poles were to remain connected to the covenant. And I don't think any words in the Bible are there just to fill space. And I don't think God forgot to put it in the other two. I think this is figurative and symbolic to you and I. Whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, whether whatever your background, your genealogy is, it's time for all of us to become part of the stave that carries that ark. If only one side is on, it's uneven. You have to have both sides. We have to have Jew and non-Jew carrying the covenant of God to the world. Everywhere we go. And when we carry the covenant of God and when our stave stays there, we not only have the covenant of God with us, we not only have the word of God with us, but we have the miraculous with us. Because Aaron's rod that buds travels there. And we have the provision of God with us because the manna is there. So if we're wondering why we aren't seeing the miraculous, it's because one or the other or both of the staves aren't in the, in, in the Ark of the Covenant. If we're wondering why God's provision isn't there, it's because one or the other or both of the staves aren't in the Ark of the Covenant. We're teaching portions of God's Word, but we're not teaching the entirety of it. The Jewish people are largely just teaching the Tanakh. And the Gentiles or the Christians are largely just teaching the Brichadashah. <coughs> but it takes both. The entirety of the covenant. For us to walk level, balanced, and in the power and authority and promises of God. Let's all stand.
One new man doesn't mean one new religion. Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah, doesn't mean God created something new. It just means He's restoring what He intended to be there at the beginning. And that's what you and I are part of, a restoration movement, a renewal movement, where God is putting us back in our place to carry the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, that's the reason why Uzzah died. You know the story of Uzzah? The ark is being carried, or uh, they put an ark on a cart instead of being carried by people. And the ark starts to stumble, the cart starts to stumble, Uzzah reaches up to touch the ark to steady it. The reason he died was that whole thing ruined the picture of Jew and non-Jew carrying the ark of the covenant together, bringing atonement to the world. It's important that we understand these things because we're only going to have the power and authority of God if we unify as one people and that one people is unified, connected to, inseparable from the covenants of God. and keep you. May His grace and His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace. This is the way you shall be blessed from day to day. He'll be your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May His grace and His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace peace. hallelujah now before we dismiss and before i say the uh, can't the ironic benediction i wanted to mention one actually two things one real quick is that uh, we have an opportunity for each of you to practice the uh, idea and the concept of terumah because uh, it is the time where we collect up uh, an offering so that we can purchase Passover items for the prisons so that we can provide Passover for uh, those that are incarcerated. So if you feel led and are of a willing heart uh, 
to give to help with that. Uh, just one of the envelopes, just write prison ministry Passover on it, and we will uh, use that money to buy matzah and uh, grape juice and horseradish and other things so that those that are incarcerated that are part of our extended congregation uh, can participate in Passover. And then I also wanted to remind everybody that uh, the Sadaka boxes are by both doors. That's where you put your tithes, your offerings, your prayer requests. If you filled out a visitor's card, if you come up directly after the Aaronic benediction and introduce yourself to me, that would give me a chance to greet you, meet you, and possibly answer any questions I caused today. And, uh, and please, if you're watching online, if you're blessed by our ministry, you can go to our website, shalompensacola.com, and you can support our congregation that way. So. Yivarechach Adonai ve'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'chunecha Yisadonai panave lecha ve'yasem lecha shalom Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinus, our shalom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen.